0: revolutions are always against something
1: yes and then it became that thing it's now be a business it, it becomes it that thing that be a business and it is now part of it and there are serious experts in that business who dominate that business
0: And welcome to episode 434 of Brews News Week. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, editor of Brews News, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend Ian Watson. And playing the role of Sabrina Kunz this week is Ryan Davidson of Little Bang Brewing. Welcome to you both. Pleasure to be here, Matt. Bye. Thank you, buddy. Well, great great, Ed. It's great. To thank you for, for coming. And uh, I did say that you were with Little Bang Brewing. You're a founder of Little Bang, Bang Brewing, but... Uh, maybe the, uh, the, the the breaking news of the week is that uh, you're moving on. Uh,
1: yes, in about a month, I'll be out a little bang. Um, yeah, uh, it's uh, part and parcel of the beautiful gift that is 2023. Um, yeah, these guys, uh, the new owners, um, have been really great to work with over the last year. I've learned an awful lot, but, um, unfortunately, that given the strategy that the guys have in place where we're really um, they're really trying to get some extra volume out there, shifting a lot more core. That's really where all the opportunities are. I think Little Bang has kind of not maxed out the independent space, but a lo- to grow it, which they need to do as a shareholder-owned business, um, they need to move more core into bigger stores and chains and things like that. And in 2023, having a permanent Creative director on the books is a bit of an expensive luxury, so I absolutely understand it, having been so close to running the business for so long. And um, yeah, we're going to stay friends, and I'm sure we're going to continue to do things together in a more ad hoc sort of fashion.
0: It must be tough because I mean, you and Phil created something that was, you know, a very idiosyncratic little brand, doing the things that you wanted to do, basically. And uh, you know, it was it was almost a surprise sometimes I got from you that you grew to the scale that you did. Um, Very much. But then to sell and have another group come in, you know, and and interpreting the brand through their eyes. Um, How was it being a founder staying on in the business afterwards?
1: Um, Well, it was quite interesting uh, because I was still in very regular contact with Phil. So Phil left the business completely at the same point that we sold it and he's gone to um, live in Perth. And so I've sort of got the experience through Phil's eyes of being all the way out right away and then the experience of my own being continually with the business in its sort of changing capacity over time. I started off as a co-CEO alongside Oscar. And um, after about six months, I, for me personally, I was kind of like, I don't think being a co-CEO in a shareholder-owned business was really my sweet spot in terms of skill set. Um, I was okay in the, in the, uh, in the sort of independent uh, small business sense, but um, it's a very different bag of bones doing forecasts and quarterly reports and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I, I was pretty out of my depth, I'm not afraid to say. And so I, I shifted to being creative director. Um, and that was, um, that was pretty cool, um, just in a part-time role uh, and i guess phil had um all in one hit this massive withdrawal it was a lot to go through like you know this is like a decade of our lives um that we were so dedicated to our, our every time we look at our daughters we can sort of see how all the business is because they're about the same age you know and um all the, the sort of trials and tribulations and stuff that goes along with it, I think it's, it just takes real time to process that most of your mental energy is no longer going to be on this one thing, which it has been for so long. Whereas for me, I've had sort of a year's worth of practice while still engaged with the thing of learning how to slowly let go of control, um, which was also painful in its way from time to time, I'd realize every now and then that I'm ranting or something to someone and then go, hang on, no, no you, just, you, you can make your own decision. That's probably <laughs> actually a pretty good decision. It's just not mine, you know? Um, so, it's it's been fascinating. So, I, I feel a bit lucky that I've had a year's worth of time sort of becoming, feeling more than ever, an employee of the business uh, and, and sort of having it a bit more arm's length. I even think by the time we'd sold Little Bang actually as well, we we felt far more that we were working for Little Bang than really just creating it ourselves. When it was tiny and it was our expression of ourselves, that was a thing. But once we got so big on retail and our local community became such a big part of the business, we felt more and more that we were working for them. You know what I mean? Um, It wasn't just us uh, throwing our ideas out there and our, Sarcastic commentary from the sidelines or our own you know uh, surrealist take on on things. it was more working for for it, especially when there's thirty people whose livelihoods also depend on the thing you I think you're all, already that for us got us to a point where we it didn't feel like just ours at all yep.
0: yeah 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 I, again it's i've said a number of times on the podcast that you know i never saw myself as an entrepreneur never saw myself as a self-employed business person and i just fell into it and mm. if Bruce news was ever to sell and whether it's saleable i don't know but if it ever was to sell i don't think i i don't know how i could have a role in it because it is so idiosyncratic to me um yeah. Even, though it, even though it does have ownership amongst the, you know, the, the industry has shaped it a lot based on what they've wanted it to be. But at the end of the day, it's still been done the way that I want to. And I think anyone else would do it very differently. I don't know how I would ever stay on. Um, it's a funny thing to be in that meeting.
1: Yeah. And be there like, and, and be like, well, here's what we should do. And then have someone nod and go, hmm. Okay, I hear what you're saying, but, um, well, let's try it this way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And you just got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it. It's good. I think it's actually really, um, uh, uh, I've said it ad nauseum over the last year, every day every day's a school day. It's just been constant learning and really, really good actually. I think really grounding, um, learning a lot about, um, oh God, uh, uh, really working as a team um, and without that fallback of being the owner um, of just knowing that you're going to get your way uh, regardless. But, you know, someone could change your mind, but that would be still your way. I was speaking to a good friend of mine who um, was a creative director of a, of a very successful game studio for quite a long time. And he, um, he moved on from there. <laughs> he had um, <laughs> a very profound thing to say to me. He was taking some time off and he's just been spending time with his family and it was great. And he's exercising you know cooking long great big dinners for his family stuff like that just taking some time off and he just said the hardest thing is um i'm used to being a big deal and my family don't get that ask all these (laughs) questions and they question my authority it's kind of like no no when i say stuff you just you just go and do it you know (laughs) so i think it's very it's good to keep your feet on the ground and and really um have to back your ideas, you know, rather than just do what you feel like.
0: So, Ian, have you ever been in that position? Have you, have you ever had something that you've created and you've had to cede c- 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 control of?
2: As an uh, employee, brew up, yes, all the time. That's it, and that's and something that I've said to um, many uh, brewers um, is about getting uh, emotional attachment to your beers when you make it, and as uh, only ever being an employee, um, you got to remember, this is not your product. This is someone else's product. And yes, you maybe created it, but it's not yours. It's it's theirs. Um, and so you have to let go and know that it's know that it's theirs um, and and not yours. So that has essentially been all all my time in the industry.
1: I, th- I think brewers are the absolute archetypical example of that. Really, I mean, it's a cliche now, the grumpy brewer, because the Yes, the brewer is making something to spec for other people, but um, they no one else understands beer as well as the brewer does. So when they have an opinion, it's just a uh, I've I've heard it from that many brewers um, when someone wants to you know take something in a direction because this is what the market wants or this is what a particular customer wants. Um, brewers say that many times like, well that's just not fucking beer. It's just not beer anymore. If you if you do that, it's not beer. You know, if you put that in it, it's not beer if it's you know
2: if it's this Ooh. sweet or this colour. Well, even if how, how something's marked how something's sold, um and the, the, the brewer can have a particular idea in their mind, but they have to remember that unless you own the company, uh it's not yours to do with then. Uh you have to make it as best as possible and it's and it's um for someone else. And you know, said to me oh about you know, I really like this beer of yours. It's like, no, hang on, that's not my beer. That's a beer I make for someone else. And I say that with all great respect and that it it is their beer and they choose ultimately how they want that beer to to be and how they want that beer to be sold. And, yeah, it can be a frustration for for brewers after a couple of years. when they realize that that someone else has the ultimate control it's like no you've got to stop your emotional attachment to it because it's not yours it's someone else's and you have got to do your best job to make it as best as possible for someone else and what they how they what they do with it is theirs because the product is theirs yeah,
1: yeah i'm sure there's many hundreds if not thousands of uh, lively and colorful conversations happening between brewers and sales guys all over the world oh, absolutely right now. yeah so <laughs> It's a it's a beautiful tension, and um, and and we'd be lost without either
0: of them. Yeah. But that's where, and that's like the, the tension is, you know, any creative endeavor. And I always think of the the, the, the Beatles, you know, and that that thing. Would any of would any one of them, for all of their talents, have been as successful if they didn't have that, you know, chemistry that came together? But then also that clear creative tension between their skill sets, and you know. Uh, as the Beatles, more often than not, it seems that the 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 strength of the idea came through. Um, yeah, and it's, it's any music, you know, everyone breaks up for artistic differences, but then you see what they create together. Um, yeah, and well,
1: you've really got me thinking on the Beatles now. I'm thinking about Paul McCartney's first solo album, amazing album, but definitely 100% navel gazing. Yeah, and like what well, you, I mean, it's a joy to hear because it is the sound of a man who has got. No one has any editorial control over him, and it's it's a big, weird, shambling mess of an album. But yeah, when they were together, I think particularly John and Paul were perpetually really trying to impress each other, and they they both even said so, even when they weren't getting along. They're always trying to show each other how good they could be. Yeah.
2: Well, I, I think I think that's a great a, a great example is is McCartney and Lennon um, without either of them without them being together to start with neither of them would have ever had a great career because i think lennon would have gone down an absolutely strange path that would have only been of use to himself and his own amusement paul would have been a great writer of of, um, jingles
0: (laughs) and,
2: and they can make great things and then when they they separate out from there yeah Paul trying to be his own John to himself um, goes into something that's really probably not quite his, 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 his strength and makes something that's, um, yeah, the, the way that it came out.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, I think especially that first solo, it's more of a curiosity. It's fascinating because of who it is, but if you just heard it out of nowhere, you'd be like, who's this weirdo shambling around in there, probably in their bathrobe?
0: <laughs> I, I forgot when I sort of threw that out as a, um, as just as a simile that I was talking to two absolute music um, nuts, and this could easily just evolve into a music podcast. This could go as long as that uh, as that New Beatles movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, the but again, I mean, it also brings in that when you are a brewer working for somebody else, it's no longer yours. You know, it, it, it's smart to listen to all ideas, but ultimately you have to make the decision. But then the person whose idea has been disregarded needs to also remember that they have, they bear no risk for the implementation of that. And that's a position that I you know have had because you get a lot of great ideas, but as a 100% owner of Bruce News, for example, anything that you do that changes the risk is entirely yours you know if, if you break yes. something you know it's not the person who has the potentially great idea that is sharing any yes. of the risk if it goes wrong
1: yes it's that's that's the big big difference and it is one's head actually being on the chopping block mm. rather than just being a contributor um is is a very different vibe and i feel like um it does give you it does give you some it, it gives you a weird kind of confidence though when it is all on your head because anyone else in the room it's not on their head it's which is why it's so very interesting to be in a business as we were for so long with four people all of whose heads were on the chopping block and our houses and our families um, so um, you know i would forge forward going no this is you know this is the idea um you know it's it's all on me and then have someone else say no it's also it's also on us you know yeah,
0: yeah. So uh, just before we do move on, and I'm conscious that we're a quarter of the way into the podcast, and we haven't even touched on uh, other news, <laughs> but uh, what is next for you? So you're, you're hoping to still have a, have, have a touch point with the business? What, what are you going to do? Because you came from a background in games development before you uh, opened a brewery. What, what, what's the plans for y- your next act?
1: Um, well, I don't think I'll go back to games. Um, I'm not fond of uh, fluorescent lighting and, uh, and sitting at a desk all day. Um, I'm going to take some time. Uh, you know, I have the luxury of being able to do that. You know, and you know, in a redundancy situation, you do you get some time, which is nice. It's really nice. Uh, I think I might even try and dial back the clock a little further than games development. And um, I mean, I was an artist before that, primarily. Uh, I was writing and um, playing music, and I've really, over the last decade, really developed. Um, really strong appreciation for visual art that i never had before because working with artists in that sort of brand space um i've really really, i found i really enjoyed it i i'd always sort of appreciated visual art like a proper philistine had um you know where i'd walk through the gallery and go well that would be hard to paint or that (laughs) one looks like that one looks just like a photo yeah that would be hard to paint um and the odd thing would hit me like you know we've got We had one in Adelaide, which was just like a a life-size fluorescent yellow rhinoceros stuck on the wall. And you'd walk in the room and go, wow, shit. Um, I like that. I like that artistic feeling. But it was really through working on in that labeling space, um, there's a real tension there when art imposes itself on a product. And, you can, and it's just a, such a pleasure to see someone pick up a product up and really be quite confused as to what they're looking at for a while. Like, you know, I, I think back like uh, our APA Beard Fiction, I wrote a short sort of gender-swapped satirical romance novel across four labels for, for a four-pack. And to see people actually like, at a festival or something like that, to see someone actually discover it on the can, just ha- having their own moment with it. And and yeah, the, just the looks of sheer confusion. It, that's such a pleasure. So, I think I would like to continue in that sort of space. I'm teaching myself some some tools. You know, getting down with the, uh, the the crazy AI art revolution and that stuff. Learning some of that. I am a bit of a computer nerd too, so that really fascinates me. So yeah, I'm not sure. I'll um, I'll do do a bit of playing around. I don't know. Maybe I'll pop up in a year with a bloody um exhibition or something
0: i don't know oh, well we'll, uh, we'll we'll stay in touch because i do uh, I, I certainly enjoy our uh, beer conversations about all things uh, industry so uh let's see if we can capture some of that uh, now and uh moving on to yeah. the news of the week quite weak as i said which is why we're sort of uh, not filling because it's great quality chat about the brewing industry hopefully inspiring um but the first story uh came out last friday good drinks results highlight the industry uh, the, the tough market Good Drinks Australia's annual results highlights the enormous challenge brewers face in a tough beer market, finding it hard to translate growth into profit. The ASX-listed business owner of brands that include Gage Roads, Matso's, and Atomic posted revenue growth of 50% for the recently completed financial year, yet saw profit fall from $2.2 million in financial year 22 to a loss of $157,000 in the financial year just ended. Uh, amongst its reported highlights were group revenue growth of $206.2 million, which is pretty impressive. Like $106 million in sales isn't bad. Uh, that's, a and total sh- volume that's a huge growth of 34%. spike in percent That's massive. Mm. It's going up 50% in a year. That's insane. But then that was offset by, uh, let's see, um, a 91% increase in the cost of goods sold and variable costs to $68.7 million and a 38% increase in sales and marketing costs. So that's where, and uh, I, I should also say that the um, huge Gage Roads Frio venue um, that really rivals Little Creatures, and in fact, I've had people say that it's put a lot of pressure on the little on the famous Little Creatures Frio um, be, to to modernize and update because the uh, Gage Roads um, and you know their their hospitality um, revenue was 4.6 million, or 6.1 if you added the 1.5 million dollar one-off from the sale of the pokies from their upcoming Matso's venue. So um, yeah, look to, to me, like I thought that that was a huge thing because again, obviously they're growing, um, but as uh, Aaron Hirey, um said, they can't put their prices up despite all of the costs. That they've incurred, um, and you know, to me, that's just problematic uh, for the entire brewing industry. If your costs are going up, some people are putting their prices up, but when you can't put it up, um, and he called it a price cliff—that if they hit certain price points, people just go. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, the craft beer segment shrank seven percent in the last year, and uh, per customer spend uh, went way down. Apparently, on average, it's 19 bucks now uh, on a visit to the bottle shop. So, yeah, if you've got a four, if you've got a four pack that's over 22 bucks, you're going to see it absolutely. You're going to see sales just totally disappear. That's absolutely what Little Bang's been looking at for the last year as well. It's just how do we get some core products out there because that is the majority of the space left for, for Little Bang to grow in is outside of the of the lovely independence. It's it's to try and get some stuff moving through the groups and through the big box stores it's just incredibly sharp uh, price point to hit so clearly what gauge roads have done or what good drinks have done there is purchased themselves some volume this year just exchanged profit for volume really haven't they just content to break even i suppose or
2: or less yeah that's that's a big change around uh with a 52 percent growth um you know even with um what was it, 91% cost of goods, Um, 38% increase in your sales marketing uh, is fine. We've had a 52% um, uh, revenue growth Um, that's probably falling in line, a little little bit um, high maybe, but, you know, you're probably going to recover that. Um, But to me, I think there's something else has moved in there that still doesn't um, naturally line up for that to be – that much of a change around um, in profit with that much of an increase in in revenue, so maybe there's some other things went across the books um, there as well. But maybe maybe it was just just that. You know these um, good old Pinnacle Drinks etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh,
1: what do you call what, what what's the name for these things? Endeavour
0: Drink. Uh, Pinnacle Drinks is the uh, proprietary arm of Endeavour Drinks Group. Yeah.
1: Yes, but like uh, what do you call these brands? These supermarket owned
0: brands. Uh, proprietary home, home brand. brand yeah well home brand uh, except i don't I've want to call to go- it home brand because people will buy black and gold flour but they won't buy black and gold beer
1: yeah but um that stuff's got to get brewed somewhere and it's got to get brewed real cheap that sounds like a good way to get a ton of volume without making much money
2: yeah but that's that's true that's that's a, a possibility as well where you're going to see an increase in revenue but um, things are going to be um tightened and down your, your, your end margin. But this is, you know, when they say they can't put their prices up, well, you're going to get broke if you don't put your prices up. You're going to go broke if you do put your prices up. Uh, a philosophy that I've always had um, and I still, still take, someone said to me, I was actually in the building industry 30 years ago, was that you'd rather sit home and go broke than go to work and go broke. So if we don't all start putting our prices up, we're going to be going to work and going broke. Go home and go broke. In, in, instead, if it's costing us um, this, if if it's increased, we have to do it. Everyone understands that everything is going up, and no one begrudges from it. People will buy less, but you can't. You you can't keep selling the same price with the increases that we've all had over the over the last year.
0: But but it's easy to say that, and it, it's, my first response is you know, craft beer was meant to be able to command a higher price. but I, And I'm just looking at photos from my local bottle shop. On one hand, you've got a four-pack of Black Hops Pale Ale at $19.99 um, with a ticket of everyday value. Um, then you've got Burley 28 Pale Ale, which is, a, you know, very famous, at $22.99, so $3 a four-pack more. But then you've got what is currently the most awarded – Uh, pale ale, um, I would argue, in the country, which is the passenger pale ale from Moffat Beach, which they just win. And the quality is just spectacular. Great people. But $29.99, so $10 a four-pack more or $8 a four-pack more. And how do you compete? And then when you've got, uh, in in the same set of fridges, um, Young Henry's six-pack of cans at $19.99.
2: We've we've got different economies in each of those breweries there that we don't really know about. Like, undoubtedly, Black Ops and Burley um, and Young Henry sell a lot more than Moffat Beach. But... Um, without knowing the books of any of those ones, it's quite possible Moffat Beach is the smallest with their $10 or uh, $10 or four-pack more. They might be the most profitable, not just in terms of percentages, but they actually might be getting more dollars across too.
0: Um, it's almost certainly... Well, I and mean, again, I'm not criticising them. I'm not criticising the price, but I would be willing to bet they are four beers in exactly the same market segment. You know, pale ales... Um, you know, American inspired pale ales. And if you're a consumer, um, and, and again, having just come out of the exhibition where we sort of saw that there was zero, um, you know, everything was priced the same regardless of what it was. So there was no friction, um, but $10 a four pack difference in the current economy, i uh, you could absolutely say that uh, the, there was a margin on, uh, you would imagine, uh, Moffat Beach having that, but you're competing against people that are dropping their price.
2: There's an interesting thing with that, that Matt, in um, it's a, in the space that beer is in, uh, is that we expect, say, all American pale ales. Let's say as this example to be roughly around that that same price. Yet I also love wine as well, and um, will quite happily accept and acknowledge that um, one Chardonnay can be $11.99 and the other. Shiraz can be, um, you know, forty nine ninety nine, uh, quite a, quite a difference in in price, and they can both be from um, Barossa Valley. Uh, they can be grown, you know, two hundred meters apart, and yet we'll accept that there is they're both Shiraz, but one is got a higher value than the other. It could literally be the same juice, and I'm sure
1: it frequently is. Um, how do we tap into that? Is that because is that because quality is a is um, a more established and accepted
2: component of wine than it is for beer? Possibly, is because we've probably sold that story a lot better. The other thing to look at is in uh, tighter economic times, um, generally the products that will do better are those that are on the, the tight budget end, which is really hard to make a dollar at our scale, or really prior and premium products actually uh, don't suffer quite as much of a drop uh, in in their sales as do it's all the stuff in the middle that really suffers the that suffers the most. Um those that are able to afford the luxury will still afford the luxury or people will still think when they want to treat themselves, they'll still treat themselves at that same level. But it's when they're looking yes. at their everyday line items, you know, people will go and instead of buying the brand name flour, will buy the the home brand flour because they think it's it's flour. Who gives crap? Yeah, um yeah.
0: well that was i mean that that has always been my argument with um home brand is that you know like i remember when you're a kid you'd be walking in when there was much more choice and you'd go the spc baked beans and your mother would go for the black and gold and she'd wink at you and say they come out of the same factory because that's the narrative that the home brand always spin so you so it's just you're not paying for the marketing but i mean with um you're right about wine Ian, but The thing about wine is it's a fundamentally different product. You make wine once a year and spend the rest of the year trying to sell it. And you see it if a wine wins a prestigious gold medal, it jumps, that same wine jumps from $22 to $29 a bottle on the back of that. Whereas beer is made theoretically every day of the year. So a gold medal beer isn't in the same level of short supply. So the pricing strategies around beer versus wine um, and the premium you can get for a higher quality or a higher marketing So it's the finite don't
1: the finite nature of wine that gives it its value.
0: Like Bitcoin. It's, and it's made once, yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Bitcoin. The- there's, there's a good point there,
2: and, and there's two aspects to that. Is A, that we're probably not as an industry doing enough to celebrate our winners of competitions. And then there is B, a problematic side of competitions um, is that you're only getting, you're only judging that one batch of beer. Um, so the next batch of beer from that brewery might be even better or it might be worse. Um, but then when you get a brewery like. I don't think that's Beach, something that consumers conceive of, though. No, I think- no they, they, you're right, they, they they don't. But when you've got a, a brewery like Moffat Beach that's um, a serial winner, you know. There, yeah. there is something as an industry we should we should lean into there because ultimately it's something that could benefit us all and not just them. Um, but um, yeah, look there. Once again, this is something that as, as Beer Australia we have to look and see. So we have to be able to find why our product is so good and why it could be um, uh, uh, such great value at, at, at different prices and why there might be levels of.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's a little bit like um, I mean, sort of playing in that space. I think it's some of the thinking that fed into some of the things that we did. We'd always try to come up with creative solutions to, to boring problems and things like when we um, used some algorithmic technology to make every label on a, a particular hazy IPA that we, we redu- that we produced a different name and a different design. It was sort of an attempt to turn every single can into a collector's item in itself and also to break untapped. Um, mm. uh, you know... I, I, really, I do believe that in the average consumer is so used to a good product now and a good quality product in a way that early craft, so many people got away with murder, so did we on a couple of batches of stuff. We'd go, oh, this one's... Oh, it's a Saison, it's not a pale ale because <laughs> it's fucking infected, you know. Um, people, the, the average consumer is so used to quality. I think point of difference uh, has never been more important. You know, you actually... You're selling a whole product, when really what's inside to the average consumer could be quite similar across many things on that shelf. Because unless you've just got price, which let's face it, much bigger companies with much larger war chests and much better cost of goods are always going to win that battle. And there's no loyalty in that in that field anyway. If they buy you, if they pick you up on price today, they'll drop you on price tomorrow. Um, It's the luxury of having that long game where you can build uh, a a brand with a sort of integrity that people keep coming back for. Um, That takes a lot of time. And I think, especially in economic conditions like this, people don't have a lot of time when they need to, you know, make ends meet now. And they're fighting against guys with a war chest that can just afford to wait them out.
0: Well, but that's where it's really interesting. And, and you know, Gage Roads, for example, it, it, it's why I'm fascinated by the ASX listed companies or the equity crowdfunded ones who also have to publish figures. Um, you know, but looking in in, in, in the same fridge, so, you know, I'd said that a six pack of um, Young Henry's was $19. Um, a six pack of Little Creatures Palale is $21. Now, Without being able to see Young Henry's accounts, they don't own the brewery that makes their beer at scale. It's toll brewed and we don't know what price they're getting it at, but anyone who is contract brewing says that it's an expensive way to do it. There is no world in which Young Henry's should be selling at $2 a six pack cheaper than Little Creatures or You know, you know, four and five dollars cheaper than uh, other craft breweries, Um, and yet everyone—that's to me just again—don't know the inside workings, don't know the economics, but yeah, short of anything, they're clearly just
1: cutting their margin to an extent that little creatures isn't, you know. that's that's the And own.
0: but everyone has to compete against that yeah. and that's I mean, that you could know, be
1: making it up in other products have certainly that's been a strategy before where you do limiteds and you actually leave some fat in it because they're not so price sensitive and you actually use those dollars to try and bring down the price of your core stuff
0: um uh, maybe yeah maybe but uh all three newtown are Natural Lager and Stayer are all 19 yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to so, imagine
1: a, a young Henry's product that's moving at enough volume with enough margin to help pay for that and it just doesn't seem to be that way. They might also, like, one thing that always uh, perplexed me is, like, looking at average, when, as such as you can get data, like, average marketing budgets. Um, marketing budgets can be absolutely huge and you can spend an awful lot on billboards and, point of sale and slapping your, your picture all over a lot of things or even, you know, uh, uh, video production and that sort of stuff. Uh, There's a conversation I had with uh, Mark Herber from Mismatch quite frequently and he was always of a mind that why blow hundreds of thousands of dollars on putting your picture out there when you can just roll those same dollars into helping get your average price down and, and put something out there that can genuinely compete. So it might be that. Is John Henry's... I don't see them spending an awful lot of money on advertising. Certainly not compared to someone. I oh, know like every Ryan.
0: venue has got a light box. Every yeah. venue that's pouring that's them true. has a light that's box true. and staff in shirts. Oh, and you know, there's a lot of in venue support. CapEx,
1: that's not OPEX, Those light boxes. It's, it's on a different line on the, on the ledger. Yeah, don't think about that one.
0: Anyway, and, and I don't mean to signal uh, single young Henrys out, but you know, one of the things that I've been hearing um, for ten years or more is small breweries want to get growth to get their cost of goods down um, and that there is this miraculous gully that you'd cross over and suddenly get scale. And, you know, Black hops again, is, a, is an example of one that, you know, we've read the founders talking about, you know, we've, we've crossed that valley of death um, and got to the other side. They've lost over $2 million in the last two years. Yeah, they found the next valley over. Well, that, that's the thing. I'd, I, I, again, I'd I love to hear you two as brewery business owners, but if you're not profitable at the scale that you're at, what is the guarantee that you're going to be, you know, because of the capital investment, the marketing investment, the sales reps, the additional brewers, you know, the beer is brewing is a is a is a high fixed cost business if you can get your if you can get your time in tank down that's a big deal like if, with the
1: same gear if you can get a ferment turned around in three weeks that pre, previously was taking four just with process like maybe introducing something like centrifuge or something like that um that's a big deal that can give you 25 percent more volume out of this essentially the same rig immediately and then theoretically that brings you know at least um, that cost of, of time in, in the building down by 25%. Um, yeah, I'm sure, Ian, you've got to work these numbers all the time, mate.
2: Yeah, look, um, the valley of death is real and, and you do come out of it there, but there is always another valley to go up on if you're trying to grow. One of the um, things is the way that we look at capacity in breweries is wrong and we look at it, and let's, let's just make up numbers here and say that, a brewer has got a capacity of a million litres a year, and most of the time people say that number and not picking on one million, could be 100,000 or 10 million, whatever. That's wrong. What that actually is is their peak capacity. Um, that doesn't take into the fact that you cannot make a business work with making that same amount of beer every week of the year unless you've got a really high-margin product that is heavily in demand and you are not looking to to grow. And they can just structure your business to churn that out each week, knowing you're going to sell out each week. But unfortunately for beer, that's not the way it is. Generally, we, we all know when the peak times are that people are wanting it. So that's your maximum uh, amount of brewery you, uh, of beer you can make in that, that peak time. So if that's what you need to make in a year, your brewery needs to be substantially larger than that so that you can deal with the fluctuations of that. And then that's not taking into account staffing times where you have downtime staffing. It's not taking into account, maintenance times, um, etc. So often when you're putting it together, when people are putting it together, the number that they think is going to be the number of beer that they produce to make themselves comfortably profitable is actually not right. They're actually not capable of doing that. And so they've got to expand again, which means more capital um, outlay. And then they've got to grow into that, which then comes with its own costs. So I do think that not looking correctly at what your um, working ability of your brewery is, as opposed to your peak capacity, gives you a false sense of security, and so you think that you're going to get to this number and you're going to be right, and then you get there and you find out actually no, I'm I'm not, um, because you can't sustain you can't sustain that week in, week out. Um, so I think that is a, a a factor and then obviously everyone always wanting to grow rather than to necessarily just structure themselves up to have a nice, um, fat, profitable little business, which can be a much better thing. There's many breweries out there that are making many, many multiples of the volume of product of other breweries and yet are making a lot less actual physical dollars into into the bank. Growth can be a, um, a bit of a catch there as well. Oh man, you
1: said a mouthful there. I've been feeling rather uh, philosophical in the last week, as you can imagine. And looking back over time, I had a lovely chat with um, uh, Sean and Leah uh, from Zero Fox in in you guys' town a couple of weeks ago. and Sean um, said something really profound and very succinct, which I'm always jealous of because I'm. (laughs) You and me both. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, uh, more of a scatter gun, spray and pray approach to saying something useful. he said, well, it's not really craft beer anymore. It's just beer now. And that spoke volumes to me. And um, that really made me think that this whole project um, that we've we've been in um, for the last couple of decades, I suppose it's really been rolling, um, that there was a battle to be fought and we, we really did win on, on one front. We changed what beer looks like in Australia permanently. But I feel like... Um, there was a bit of a narrative, especially when that wave was really rolling. Um, there was a, not a narrative but I think an assumption made from a lot of us that not only would we fundamentally change the way beer is perceived in Australia with this amazing hype train getting all this uh, uh, you know, appreciation for, for new styles and 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 giving beer the sort of status that it, it wasn't used to having. Um, there was this thing that came along with it where I think there was an assumption that we'd all just, all the businesses would grow and we'd actually take over the whole business. Mm. You know, thousands you or know, hundreds of little breweries would just take over more and more and more. And I think there might actually be a threshold there and that there could have been some naivety rolled up into that pipe train.
0: But that's true of every revolution, isn't it? You know, revolutions are always against something. Yes, and
1: then it became that thing it's now be a business it, it becomes it was that a thing that be a business and it is now part of it and there are serious experts in that business who dominate that business
0: but that's because i think revolutions forget that systems evolve because of need you know um, you know that was like businesses grew large to the point that they just wanted to make one thing because you know, once upon a time there were a lot of uh, breweries, um, but they started to amalgamate. The ones that amalgamate tend to be, you know, get bigger. They they have advantages, um, and then you start to see, you know, and Australia is a land of duopolies because we only we have a huge country and a small population base, and you can't have five or six identical businesses all get scale.
1: That's why difference is so important. I, I do think, uh, I think we spoke about it the other day, Matt, that, the, that also one thing that's been a real seismic shift in our business is, is that the excise rebate change to 350k and 100% has really created this hard line across um, the, the market of, of breweries who are 100% below that and breweries who, who have to encounter actual excise at some point. I do believe like wine equalization tax did in the 90s it's going to sort of bifurcate the whole industry now we have thousands of amazing tiny little wineries who who basically exist tax-free and inject all this life and energy and, and color into the market but they can only they're capped at growing to a certain point and they actually really need to like double in volume or more in an instant, if they ever want to become profitable again, because they're going to start paying tax, and I think the same thing's happening to
0: to beer. Just the um, breweries, once they exceed the three hundred and fifty thousand dollar threshold, they don't lose. They still get That's their right. first three hundred and fifty. No, year.
1: everyone gets it. Every yeah. brewery gets it. Yeah, because because I know yeah, that in the UK that.
0: there was a point that you lost it forever. So suddenly, ah. um, yeah. So so it actually became a hard barrier to growth. Because yeah, if you yeah. grew beyond the threshold level, you lost. So you suddenly you were by growing, you became less competitive than you were at a slightly smaller size.
1: Well, I think it's the same thing. It's just uh, not quite as hard.
2: We used to have the that. same thing uh, here um, twenty years ago. I forget the exact details of it now, but it was it was thirty thousand dollars and mm. yep. uh, thirty thousand dollars and sixty percent is the way 60%. it Sixty percent. Once you yep. went over that, then yep. you, you lost that. Um, but that's been that's been changed for quite a a while now several steps but years ago that's what was the case here but yeah every, everyone gets it but uh if you try to factor i would say to people you're going to need to do your 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 modeling based on the fact that you don't get that and look at that as bonus money so that, that way your um once you've exceeded out of out of that um out of that range that it's not bearing on the way you perceive your price of your product or, or your margins in your product that's easier said than done
1: i think they're very interesting the interesting difference now though that the threshold is so much higher it it means you actually don't have to exceed it in order oh, to right. have a yeah. successful business you could have a company of half a dozen people making fantastic margin uh, and making fantastic product tax-free um because you sell most of it retail in the tap room or two, and you just produce it all on site. Provided that, provided that growth isn't mandated in your thing. And this is where I think uh, the the big learning curve for me was about the difference between privately held businesses and shareholder owned businesses. Shareholder owned businesses, it is their like it is their primary job is to invest other people's money, and the only reason that they're giving it to you is to grow and to grow it every year. So. Um, pr- little private family companies can quite happily go right. We're happy at this volume, and we're just going to tweak our cogs from here and settle in on our good little thing. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And in fact, I've certainly seen the market changing over the last couple of years. But if anything, the taproom culture is just getting better and better and stronger and stronger. Like you know, Little banks still having record weeks in retail uh, unless and you're I'm speaking sure to somebody in
0: sydney's inner west where there are you know pubs aren't closing but breweries are opening um and mm. they're finding it very hard from the from the sound of it it's a pretty tough market in places where is there it are because it's of, so
1: crowded in marrickville particularly
0: that well again th- th- that's what i hear from 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 breweries that it's it's pretty tough I oh, man they got hawks opened up there which is just I
1: think is a weapon. So I imagine, yeah, it's it's it is true that there's this love. There were these lovable cowboy days where I, I think we got away with murder early on, where we just had a drafty old shed that was boiling hot in summer and freezing cold in winter. We didn't have any food. We just had bags of chips and maybe a food truck out the front, and people would still flock there because it was interesting and cool. But players like Hawks there now who have just got this full. Soup to nuts experience the whole way through, and it's inc- its incredible. I had a smile on my dial the whole time, yep. and the place was packed on a Wednesday afternoon.
0: I was the same it's as you. Yeah, amazing. Have you been yet, Ian? I know no, that
2: I'm very jealous of you both. Okay. Um, really it's high on my priorities list, and, and I tell people about it all the time. And that I should go there and come back and tell me about it. it sounds like something I'd really, really, really enjoy. But but Ryan, you, you you're right on modeling. You, you could model your business to that three hundred fifty thousand dollar threshold. So I I think roughly, if you were happy, your average beer was around five percent alcohol, you'd be able to produce 150,000 liters of beer ish a year, um, and you would stay at that threshold. It's a reasonable amount of beer if you're selling that. um, If you're selling that all yourself, um, you know, not doing much wholesale at all, if any, even better. But you could be doing a little bit of that and selling the rest of your own bar in pack and draft, draft even better still, um, and. You know you you could make a very a very tidy little business with with that
1: i mean that was that was range that was range in the early days wasn't it most of it was going out in packs online and at their taproom. i think
2: it still and is
1: yeah. at a premium price but, really 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 high
2: quality premium product um very smart no that's not really a range it's uh, my understanding is it's owned by range and it features range products but it's not a range venue it's it that has patio? An, that's right yeah yeah i visited there beautiful
1: Lovely little place, yeah. Just really, really nice. Yeah, yeah but that's that's great I think great these example. kind of these craft beer experiences is a is it, it really is a place where uh, I think the, the craft beer industry they do have to continue to rather than go straight at the big guys on their own in their own turf. That's where you get hurt, I think. Is, is still try and lean into that the things that we can do that they can't, and I think you know you look at consumer trends for the, the for the next generation coming in uh, now it's more important than ever it's about uh, authenticity and transparency you know it, like you can genuinely do things for instance with your branding I know it's, it's my thing so I'm, I'm always hammering on it you can do things with your branding that other that that gigantic mega companies just can't afford to do because they need to ship millions of liters. they have to make more conservative decisions so you can take risks and stuff like that or you can literally have a place where the brewer, the brewer is right there brewing the beer and you can have a chat with them while you're having a beer that's the strength that we've got that they can't emulate
0: guys you know something that's really really cool particularly if you're going to be a small brewery um you know there are people who can cater and supply the needs of small uh, breweries, including good friends at Rowling's Label Stickers of Packaging. They, If you want a small run of cans or a small run of decals for your bar, they can help you out. Uh, They can supply can or bottle labels, shrink sleeves for cans, supplied ready to fill cartons either printed or plain, tap decals, coasters, and four-pack barcodes, and much, much more. They are your one-stop shop for all of your brewing, labelling, and packaging needs. Give Paul, Brad, and the team a call on one 852 235 to discuss your options, or email sales at railingsprint.com.au. Seamless. Oh no, seamless. There you go. <laughs> just just like just man. like their, uh, printing. Um, yeah. Just <laughs> very beautiful. mindful of, of of the time, so I had to get that in. So we. Uh, but the only other real story this week was an announcement from Drinkwise that Drinkwise and medical practitioners have joined forces to advise women to abstain from alcohol when planning a pregnancy during pregnancy and breastfeeding ahead of International uh, Fetal Alcohol Syndrome. D, FASD, uh, Disorder, Um, Awareness Day, sorry, FASD, I hate just reading out the acronyms, on 9 September. Um, New DrinkWise research revealed that more than 9 out of 10 Australians agree that it is safer not to drink any alcohol during pregnancy, and that figure increasing to 94% for females aged 18 to 44. Um... And Nine again,
1: out of ten of us agree that that's that's important. Yep. Why is it priority number one to slap that on our labels? Then you think the 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 serious drinking problem in Australia is those thirsty pregnant women?
0: <laughs> well,
1: yeah, they're the one. You reckon?
0: No, look at and, and, and yeah. Uh, again, we've talked about it. <laughs> I'm real
1: the pick with that thing. I got the label.
0: Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I guess I, I have to take the other side that uh, <laughs> yeah. the anti-alcohol people would say, of course, the alcohol industry, look, anything that potentially reduces harm is good for alcohol. Mm-hmm. It's good to see the industry doing it. Uh, they won't get any credit from the anti-alcohol lobby for what they've done. Um, but, you know, good to see that they're getting on board ahead of uh, D Awareness Day on 9 September.
1: I think it is um, yes very important that we um, that we talk about the you know the health aspect of the product that we sell. I'm acutely aware, especially every time I have a go at someone about pokies, that uh, it's my yep. job to make drinking an addictive, t- taking an addictive drug make it's my job to make that look fun. Um, so I, glass houses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, Absolutely. I think the health messaging um, needs to be a big part of the conversation. And I think that's actually one of the factors in 2022, 2023 now that isn't being talked about quite as much. But health is a huge factor and a much bigger factor in people's choices these days. I think during COVID, a lot of people took a long, hard look at their health. And it's it's an explosive uh, growth sector, the health sector, Um My particular issue, though, was singling out pregnant women when clearly in our end of the market, they are not the problem. It's
0: the (laughs) low-hanging fruit. It's the, the, you know, thin edge of the wedge. Um, Nobody wants to argue against protecting unborn children. Somebody please think of the children. And and so if we can make alcohol about that, that's then the, you know, because you can't argue against it and, and nor should you argue against it. You know, like my, it, it's interesting what you say, you know, I, um, alcohol is a special class of product and I've, you know, it potentially causes harm at any level, you know, um, and, you know, even if you have one drink and fall down the stairs because of your loss of coordination, you know, like it's just one of those products. Um, adults, can assume the risk that they take with it um which is why it's allowed you know and and it does my argument is that it has because of the way that we have evolved alcohol has a whole lot of positive benefits um around socialization and you know there's a whole lot of things that alcohol still triggers in us that go back to our monkey ancestors yeah that's very true um, but because of that we need to be very very careful and you know it, it, it's my problem it, it's my issue with um, alcohol becoming too infant, infantilized you know that I don't think alcohol should be something that we step up to and it's something that we do treat maturely um, as as much but again th- that's just my view and I'm have the luxury of not having to keep a business open by selling it um, yeah yeah It's a big topic. It's a big topic. (laughs)
1: I'm I'm having having an internal war with myself.
0: I killed the mood. But that's well, we should be having internal wars with ourselves because that's where we'll find a better balance. You're quite right, though.
1: There are benefits. I'd still hold that beer could at least help save the world because um, there's few things that can help settle uh, a, a, a loggerhead's argument better than a couple of beers in a good environment
0: but nothing can start a knife fight like too many beers or you know, that's and that's the
1: word, that or end it like even more beers when they can't <laughs> yeah, hold the damn yeah. knife <laughs> the
0: and that's, is that's...
1: always more beer as a sales guy i fully endorse
0: <laughs> and, but we started this podcast talking about the internal tension in business and we're now we're talking about the internal tension in alcohol it, it yeah it does um you know there's all of the studies that show that our it releases endorphins, you know, that bring us closer together, and it also facilitates trust situations in people that we don't know as well, um, you know, which is where social yes. its role in socialising comes.
1: Mm. It's um, it's the role in culture on the on the whole, and especially in Australian culture, in so many peculiar ways that can
0: sometimes come into question. Yeah, Well, that, yeah. which fascinates me because different cultures do have different tolerances for it. So, But very mindful of the time, and I want to get to our Brewery of the Week. I'm throwing to you, Ryan. Um, Bluestone Yeast, uh, sponsor our weekly Brewery of the Week uh, nomination. Bluestone Yeast can supply pitches of yeast from one litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. Uh, whether you are after a one-off pitch or you are looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone has you covered, not in yeast, but just covered in the in, in, in the theoretical sense. Um, I only say that because my podcast guest of the week uh, posted photos of herself uh, covered in yeast um, on social media. Um, I was going to say, so just
1: depressurize before you open the damn hatch. That <laughs> wasn't Bluestone
0: <laughs> yeast fault, um, but they can still cover you. But not in yeast. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 038518-3172 and talk all things yeast. Now, Ryan, you have a nomination for our Brewery of the Week, and it's actually one that I've said before, but I'm letting you double nominate because I find it validation of my my taste and uh, appreciation of breweries.
1: Yeah. uh, Yes, I'm nominating Bright Star. Uh, in, in uh, Theberton, or is it High Marsh in Adelaide anyway, inner west uh, Adelaide, um, because I, uh, it's such a pleasure uh, these days to see a brewery that is leaning into its, its difference. Um, Bright Star makes 100% Germanic styles, as, as far as I know, or at least majority Germanic styles. They do a beautiful hef, uh, lovely pills i think they they do step out into like a wit or something now and then it's amazing to see people in australia making wheat beer because wheat beer is just so damn hard to sell um but in that lovely tap room environment like german beers are such a wonderful world unto themselves but they've you know through the 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 massive sort of hype train through hazies and things like that i think especially when the haze craze kicked in uh in what 6 years ago something like that um, uh, in Australia, we saw this sort of uh, a slight genericification. Genericification is that a word? Um, the, it, it split breweries down the middle. Like there was breweries who would get on board the hype trend because everyone wants hazy's all day, every day, and you're either a brewery who's going to launch after that thing that's popular, or you're going to stick to what makes you different. And Bright Star is one of those breweries that remains different despite it not being the sexiest trendiest newest styles in the world and Steve is an incredible individual an amazing advocate uh, that Steve Brockman their head Brewer amazing advocate in the industry and his his beers are exceptional that uh, just fills me with joy whenever I go there
0: well I certainly feel validated if Steve doesn't feel validated from from that uh, I certainly uh, do because that was basically all of the reasons that I thought it was uh, you know a wonderful local venue. And I reckon we could do a whole discussion on why Whitbeers don't do better when you consider that it was once Feral Brewing's biggest seller. Um,
1: That's right. Or well, Redback, first first official craft beer in the country. Redback,
2: you know. Yeah. I worked for a pub where we sell massive amounts of Hoogarden every week. Uh, those little twenty litre kegs were a pain because we we just kept burning through them so quick. Um, but something's changed and people moved moved away. Unfortunately, but it's all because they're wrong. They should be drinking them.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right although i i, I think as the as, as the wheel turns um we are starting to see by all accounts we are starting to see you know a, a swing back to and people rediscovering the inherent balance and complexity that some of those beers have um you know it, it, it'll be interesting to see
1: maybe that's it with surveys has come up you know
0: Maybe this is next.
1: Who knows? It's a, the world's, <laughs> world's topsy turvy, Matt.
0: It's the inter- internal tension that uh, the, the, the industry has. Very nice, yeah. And
1: nice thing about Bright Star as well is it's just around the corner from uh, the Weedy Brewing Corps as well, which well worth it. Speaking of Cerveza, I couldn't, um, yeah, making out of the conversation without singing Jade's praises. Brewcon this oh, year, okay. I think it's Photo of the Year is her holding her indie wearing a jumper that says Cerveza is the new craft and giving the finger to the camera. It's just, <laughs> that is 150% Jade. And she is just a truly Awesome, awe-inspiring figure as she always has been, only more. And the thing
0: I love about Jade is, again, she's never changed her tune. Like I, I think back to, you know, again, and no, no disrespect, but it's just a what I think is an honest observation of people like Greg Cook, who was once upon a time, "You're not worthy of my beers," until suddenly they're starting to make a lime salt uh, lager beer, and apparently we were worthy all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jade is one of those people who will die. Uh, before she, uh, you know, lowers her standards. That's correct.
1: She will never, ever, and I'm testament to this as a friend of many years. She will never spare your fucking feelings <laughs> yes. if she if she thinks you're wrong.
0: <laughs> but never, never an ounce of malice.
1: No, 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 no. Just passion, raw passion. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. Truly awesome. inspiring. Yeah.
0: Anyway, we're, people who were going out to do their 5Ks are probably up to K7 uh, by now. So uh, I, I don't apologize because it's good for you. You're going to lose some of those uh, beers that you've uh, consumed this week. But uh, I do say, Ian, thank you as always for joining. And uh, also, Ryan, thank you very much for joining us as a special guest star. Like you're, uh, you, you get that special Love Boat credit, special guest star this week exciting and new thank you very much
1: Matt. <laughs> thank you ian lovely mate nice to meet you My pleasure look forward to, yeah look forward to catching up again guys absolutely wherever we wind up in this crazy world